I seem to have problems playing a big stack. I have radically changed in how I approach having a good size stack. I think a lot of people tr tend to think they're supposed to over adjust and I think that's a problem. And so you feel like you're gonna continue to run good. I mean, that's a very common form of tilt that's very hard to avoid. I might make a few small, subtle adjustments based on uh, how it is I accumulated these chips. There's really no reason to be opening or widening that. I think it's important to understand that you don't have to be the table captain. To not really fluctuate from our, our game plan of just playing our A game. You certainly want to push around the smaller stacks and avoid the big stacks. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I am your host, Steve Fredland. And this week, we have a question from Don Ducate. And we've got answers from our professionals, Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com, Chris Fox Wallace with Next Level Poker, our official tour, and Mike Schneider with the Poker is Fun Tour. And you're also going to hear some thoughts from myself, as well as other recreational contributors, including Matt Hamilton, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, Derek Smith, and Steve Olson. A couple of quick announcements. As I mentioned before, there's an investment package. I'm heading out to Vegas. If you're interested in that, let me know. And also, we have patches available to wear, the Rec Poker patch. I've got a number of people that have already signed up to receive those patches. Let me know if you want to be one of those. There's no charge for the patch, but there's also no payment for wearing it. <laughs> uh, we're just asking you to do it to help promote the podcast if you're willing to do that. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to start tackling a couple of questions from listener Don Ducate about how to handle a big chip stack. We're going to give a quick thanks to Running Aces, and then we're going to hear from Don, who sets up the discussion for today. Then I'm going to share my thoughts. And today, my thoughts got a bit long, but this is an area that I've really struggled with in the past, and I've spent a ton of time researching. I've completely changed my strategy, and I thought there'd be some value in giving you some deeper insight into how my brain works. Uh, because I think this has been key to the success that I've had and my increasing success in lower stakes tournaments. Um, and so I think that's helpful because the, obviously the stakes that I play are lower than our professionals. Uh, so after I share my thoughts, then you'll hear from the pros and then you'll hear from a few recreational players. So let's take a quick break here. You'll hear from Running Aces and then the next voice you'll hear will be that of Don Ducate and then I'll come back with my thoughts. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Hi, my name's Don Ducade. I'm a rec player. I seem to have problems playing a big stack. What usually happens is after dinner break I have maybe two to three times average that I've played a lot of hands early very aggressively. Then I come back and I seem to lose a lot of hands. I don't know if I'm playing too many hands, I'm calling down too many short stacks or variance is catching up with me. This is one area of my game that I do need help with. So I recited Pi to 22,514 decimal places. It took me five hours and nine minutes. All right, thanks so much for the question, Don. Appreciate that. Well, for the first couple of years when I played tournaments, I was convinced, based on what I read, that having the big stack is the time to play bully, time to drive hard, try to go after every single chip against weak opponents. 
And I think that some people still ascribe to this methodology, but I have radically changed in how I approach having a good size tech, especially when it's still in the early or the middle stages like Don's talking about here. Generally, I now like to have variants very low at the beginning of a tournament and increase as we get towards head up. By the very nature of tournaments and increasing blinds, variance has to increase, but it helps me to think of tournament strategy as a game that increases in variance as we move forward, or at least I believe strategically it should. Having a big stack early allows me to introduce a little bit more variance into my game, but I am actually not seeking variance at this point. In fact, in standard situations, my opening hand ranges may tighten up even more when I have a big stack but I allow myself to take more opportunities that might be present. I would say that I probably three bet a little bit more often, I check raise a little bit more often, and I punish limpers a little bit more often when I have a big stack. But here's the key, I'm not looking to create spots that aren't there. I'm just willing to take those spots a little bit more often when they're close decisions, when I have a lot of chips. Now let me caveat this next statement by saying that I generally play in tournaments that are $100 buy-ins or less. I'm a true grinding recreational guy. So uh, I will trust the other players to give more insight into larger tournaments. But one of the things that I clearly do different than most players that I play with is being selective and cautious when calling all-ins by shorter stacks. If I have 100 big blinds and someone shoves with 10 big blinds in the earlier middle stages of a tournament, I need to make sure it is a good investment to make the call. I see big stacks calling in this situation all the time with hands like queen 10 and pocket 2s and ace 4 and sometimes even worse. Even if the player is shoving pretty light, most of these hands are not in great shape against their range. When I fold in these spots, I usually catch some grief from people who, who say that they, they can't believe I folded that it would only be a dent to my stack, or you got the chips to call. I can see this logic if there's a significant bounty on a player, but most tournaments don't have bounties, and those that do, at least in my weekly tournaments, are pretty small relative to the overall size pool. Frankly, I would rather play for the money in the top three spots than make bad investments to try to pick up a small bounty. Perhaps this is too conservative, but if I keep my overall framework in mind of starting with low variance and increasing as the tournament goes on, I'm able to avoid introducing variance in spots when I'm still looking for a high return, low variance investment. I'm going to get a little bit technical here uh, because I'm, I'm wired mathematically, but um, through this really hear the principle behind this. I'm trying to really support uh, the, the approach I just talked about with looking for high return, low variance investments in early to mid stages. But one of the things to consider is the marginal value of the chips that you have in a tournament. The more chips you have, the lower their marginal value. Consider if you have 10 big blinds and how much value would be gained or lost from adding or taking away 5 big blinds. That's huge. A 5 big blind pot is, is big if you have 10 big blinds. You'll either have uh, 5 big blinds or 15 big blinds. So that's a significant impact either way. Now consider if you have 200 big blinds and how much value is gained or lost from adding five big blinds or losing five big blinds. In this example, you'll end up with either 195 or 205, and most players would say you basically have the same stack. You basically have the same value in the tournament. So the, the marginal value of those five big blinds is way lower when you have a lot of chips than when you don't have many. 
So there are some mathematical concepts around this, such as utility theory, which is something I just love and I think it applies greatly to poker tournaments, but it's just too complex to dig into here. But as an example, let's look at the independent chip model, the ICM, uh, which we've discussed on here before. ICM, what it does really is it runs through looking at the probability of you finishing in every different spot in the tournament based on your stack size and the stack sizes of all of your opponents. And then it combines those probabilities with the payouts at each of those places. And when it combines those, it gives you an expected value in the tournament. So it'll basically take that prize pool that's there and using that algorithms, it'll assign a value to each of the people left in the tournament, including yourself. So I use a free ICM calculator online, which limits me to having 15 players. Um, but I think this example is still going to drive home the results of what I'm talking about. So for this, I don't worry about this too much, but for those of you who want the details, assume we're playing in a $120 tournament with a $20 rake. So $100 from each player goes into the prize pool. There are 30 entries that each had a starting stack of 10,000 chips. So there's 330,000 chips in play and half the field is left. So the middle stage of the tournament, there's 15 players left and three get paid and they'll get paid uh, $16.50, $9.90, and $6.60. All right, so those are the assumptions going into this ICM calculator in case you wanna play with it yourself. Now let's say that uh, of those 330,000 chips, we have 50,000 chips. And then there's two players left that each have 35,000, 30,000, 25,000, 20K, 15K, 10K, and 5K. All right, so there's two people with each of those stacks and we're the big chip leader with 50,000. So if I plug that into this model, out of that uh, out of the uh, total prize pool of, um, of $3,000, it says that I have an ICM value of $471. All right, so this is the amount that the ICM algorithms expect us to win over the long run. If we're in this spot a whole bunch of times, we could expect to win $471 each time. Now, let's say that a player with 10K in chips shoves and we have the opportunity to call. So for simplicity, just assume that if we win, we'll have 60K, and if we lose, we'll have 40K, and if we do nothing, we'll keep our 50K, okay? So if we win, we add chips, and we knock out an opponent. Both of those things increase our ICM value, okay? We have, we have a higher probability of win because that person now has zero probability, and we have a higher probability to win because we have more chips. So our ICM value, increases from 471 up to $553. But if we lose, our ICM value becomes $386. So uh, when we win, we add $82 of ICM value. And when we lose, we lose $85 of ICM value. Even though we are one player closer to the tournament, the downside is more impactful than the upside, but it's fairly close. So. Because of that, we should have a break-even point of making this call having greater than 50% equity. In other words, we should believe that we have a, a greater than 50% chance of winning this hand against our opponent's range if we're going to make this call. Okay, If it wasn't ICM, if it was just purely EV, if there was no tournament structure, if this was just a cash game, then we should, exp then we should have a 50% chance to make it a positive EV play. But because of it's a tournament, because of the structure of ICM, because of the structure of utility theory, we should have a greater than 50% chance if we're going to make this call. So then if we combine 
the ICM value of if winning and losing with our hand equity all in preflop against our opponent, we can calculate our expected value of the decision. So again, I'm sorry this is a lot of math, but stick with me here, it's almost over. What I'm saying here is if we are a 60% favorite, okay, then the expected ICM that we have is $486, which is a gain of $15. If we are 50-50, we have an expected loss in expected ICM of $1. And if we are 40% to win, we have an expected ICM loss of $32. So as a 60% favorite, we can expect to win $15. As a 60% dog, we can expect to lose $32. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's twice as big of an impact on the downside the lower our equity is. So anyway, I don't do all this math at the table and neither would you need to do that, but listen to the concept. At all times, chips gained are not as valuable as chips lost, but especially as you get a big stack where you can afford to reduce variance. As a 60% favorite, your expected ICM is expected to increase from by $15 from 471, which is about a 3.2% increase. As a 60% favorite, you can expect your ICM to increase 3.2% in this case. So making the call here is a good decision, although the downside is still bigger than the upside, so you should consider that. But if you are only a 40% favorite, which is what I see a lot of big stacks make the call with, things like Queen-10, Ace-4, King-9, Jack-8, or even worse, I believe these are big mistakes. Obviously you could win, but over the long run in this spot, your expected ICM is to decrease from 471 down $32, an average reduction of nearly 7% of ICM value. Okay? So if you're making those calls as a 40% favorite, or even a 50% favorite, you can expect to lose ICM value in the long run. So all of that is really to support and give justification to my point, which is continue to make good expected value decisions overlaid with the tournament situation in mind in that if things are close, don't introduce the variance. Make sure that you have a high probability of winning before you introduce that variance. That's the way that you're going to continue to chip up in this, in this tournament and, and not see your big stack uh, diminished. So as I wrap up my comments, it's also worth noting that a lot of players get caught up in trying to be the table captain or the bully or the tough guy or the tough gal. They see people raising their blinds as some sort of personal attack and they need to defend or put them in their place. And this can expand with the big stack. Players like this assume they can even more so impose their will on the table. And for men especially, I think it feels like a big show of testosterone. But my experience is that these players end up playing suboptimally in these spots. Of course, sometimes they continue to build their stack, but often they see dwindling by playing too many hands and putting too many chips in the pot in mediocre or poor spots. And now it's at least worth considering that with a big stack, you have the opportunity to be even more patient, to wait for great opportunities, not just okay ones. And you have chips to try to take those spots and you can let people come to you. Take advantage of spots that are there. Don't try to create spots. Okay, so let's hear from our contributing professionals. And this week we have input from Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, Chris Fox Wallace of Next Level Poker, and Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. People are like, are you little? Because your name says you're little. I say, no, I'm not little. 
Hello, this is Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com, and today's question is essentially how do we play a big stack in the first few levels? So say you're playing early in a tournament, you're splashing around a bit, you happen to stack someone, and now you've doubled up. The question is, should we apply more pressure, see more flops, etc.? The person who submitted this question doesn't seem to capitalize on this advantage, and I'm not sure about the overall approach or the changes to the current situation. In general, I think a lot of people blow well out of proportion the idea of, I have big chips, therefore I should adjust to try to push people around, especially early in a tournament with somewhat deep stacks. I don't think anyone is making a super huge fold with something like the second nuts just because they could go broke. I could be wrong about that, and maybe you will play against some people who are just super weak whenever all of their money has to go into the pot. But in general, I just think that getting more chips allows you to lose one more hand than your opponents or two more hands than your opponents before you go broke. I don't make too many big adjustments. If I get the vibe that some people at the table, especially on my right, are deathly afraid of aggression, I may start three betting a lot more in position. But in most scenarios from out of position, which is where you're going to be a lot of the time, I still just play a relatively tight aggressive game. I definitely don't think you need to start calling people's all-ins to try to bust them or you know, call from the button or small blind with all sorts of garbage to try to flop well. I think that's a good way to give your big stack away. I think a lot of people tr tend to think they're supposed to over-adjust, and I think that's a problem. Instead, just keep playing good, fundamentally sound poker like I teach you at PokerCoaching.com. If you do that, you often will end up with a big stack because you're going to be playing a decent number of good, suited, connected type hands early in the tournament. Sometimes you will get a big stack, but from there, you should not start playing suboptimally or some drastically different strategy just because now you get to lose a hand or two. You should probably just keep playing your same game and go from there. So that's going to be it. This has been Jonathan Little. I'll talk to you next time. Fox here for Next Level Poker. I think when you get a big stack early, oftentimes people just bleed that stack away. Uh, for one, you've gotten a big stack by running good, um, usually, and so you feel like you're going to continue to run good. I mean, that's a very common form of tilt that's very hard to avoid. It's small, and you don't notice it so much usually. It's not like you're throwing keyboards across the room when you're playing online or throwing chairs in a live event. You're, you're just playing a little differently because you've been running so good. And the same thing is true when you're running really bad. If you run bad, don't get a hand for a couple hours, you tend to overvalue a hand. Don't make that mistake. When you got a big stack, continue to play like it's a normal situation. Would you make this same play if you had twice as many chips 10 minutes ago and lost half of them? Even though you still have a lot, would it affect your play? Also, when I get short stacked, I get down to 16 big blinds, because I take a beat in the hand or I misplay something or just get coolered. And I think to myself, okay, treat this as if I just doubled up to 16 big blinds and now just play it as if I'm on, the, if I'm on a comeback. It doesn't change anything about how I should play that I lost, just lost or won a bunch of chips. So I think about it in whatever gives me the best mindset. And when you're, when you're chipped way up in the first levels, you can't win a lot of chips anymore. And the chips that you win aren't very valuable anymore. Remember that to treat your stack as if it's shaped like a traffic cone, basically. The chips at the very top of your stack aren't worth very much. They're small. The chips at the bottom are worth a lot. They're big. So, so picture them that way. 
And if you risk your whole stack, you're, you're risking not only the small chips at the top, but the big chips at the bottom against chips that will be piled on the top and will get smaller and smaller. That's why we like low-variance, small-ball play in a lot of tournaments. Now, if you find somebody who's too low-variance, too small-ball, and you can abuse them by, by trying to force them to play bigger pots, that works. But in general, your default should be to be uh, a little more cautious in tournaments than you would in a cash game. And in particular, when you build a big stack, um, you know, if you started with 15,000 and now you have 50, if you add another 15,000, it doesn't do much to, to your equity in the tournament. And it also doesn't do much for your mindset. You don't get even more confident from that. But if you lose 15000 it could mess with your mindset. It could put you on tilt. And it also costs you more than gaining that other 15000 would have given you. So that old, you know, you have a stack, you have to use it adage often isn't true. Um, players who know how to use a stack find the right spots. But having the idea that you have to you have to treat a certain stack a certain way and play a certain style is very expensive. We know you can play good poker all the way through and not worry about having to have a particular style and be seen as having a particular style. So very loose aggressive players who are very good became that way because they're so good that they find a lot of spots to win pots, to steal pots, to build pots. They, it's because they're good, not because they decided to be aggressive. People have this idea that I have a big stack, I should be very aggressive. Or I just want to win more tournaments and I heard aggressive is good, I'll just be more aggressive. You should be aggressive very frequently. But you should be aggressive because you found the right spot where it's profitable. Not because you just think that's the right thing to do. That's That idea always makes me think of somebody who thinks that they can win a NASCAR race because they know they'll just push the pedal down farther than everyone else. It doesn't really work that way. And that's, that's how so many players treat aggression when they're trying to learn to be aggressive. They just go, okay, I'm going to bet more. And that's not how you learn to be aggressive. You learn because you keep finding more and more and more spots as you get better and as you study the game, you get better about finding places to take pots away from people about finding situations where two or three streets away you can still see that you're going to be able to take this pot frequently if you don't make a hand as long as you play it out the right way so um, i wouldn't worry about applying a lot of pressure in those early rounds when the blinds are so small and players are so bad you know there's a lot of fish left in the field who don't have a fold button and the blinds are very small, so stealing the blinds when you can doesn't do you very much good. I would keep playing your game. Don't take absurd risks with your big stack. Don't try to push people around in level four because they can't fold. You know, if you find a player you can push around in level four, then you should be pushing them around whether you have a big stack or not. But your stack shouldn't have a big um, influence on whether you do that. And once you get to the bubble, once you get to anywhere close to the bubble, or once you know your table well and you know who you can push around, then you can use some of those chips to push people around and steal some pots. But that's because you found the right spot, not because you had a big stack. And you'd be doing that with a medium stack as well. And you might even be doing that with a short stack. Sometimes I'm the most aggressive with a short stack because you have so little to lose. So I wouldn't let your stack size dictate what you're doing nearly as much as as a lot of people do or you, you try to apply pressure all the time because you have a stack early in a tournament it doesn't work later in a tournament sometimes that works but not early
Hi, this is Mike Schneider of Poker is Fun Tour, urlpiftpoker.com, which is also the Twitter handle at piftpoker. So today here, I would say the main thing is I generally, if you get a big stack early in a tournament, I don't really deviate too much from how I'm normally going to be playing. I might make a few small, subtle adjustments based on... uh, how it is I accumulated these chips if I've been showing down the nuts a bunch and I think there's a chance that some players may associate Mike Schneider player seat whatever as guy who always have it it may make me more enticed to uh, to play back at some of those players a little bit more or on the converse if I if I happen to have bluffed a few times, and maybe if I did show one of the bluffs, I I would definitely put on the brakes and tighten up and really just try to wait to have it, which hey, the main point to that is, though that really isn't conducive on me having a big stack or not, this would just be how I would generally be playing, whether I have a huge stack or an average stack or below average stack of just trying to utilize a table image and a taking a taking whatever you can get with it with the general premise of still trying to play within yourself and not really force something if it's not there and just letting the letting the game come to you especially with the main point of earlier on a tournament with blind smaller and depending on how early we're talking or what the structure is there may not even be antis yet in the tournament which when that's the case it gives you less incentive to try to take down the blinds or three bet people or whatnot, but yeah, I mean, once you got a huge stack, you're in you're in great great shape to be able to lose a couple more pots. It doesn't mean you have to get all wild trying trying to be that guy to run over the table. Because if you have fifty thousand chips when the average is twenty five thousand chips, it doesn't really do you a ton of good to go from fifty to fifty five thousand. But if you go from fifty to twenty five because you're trying to bully people, that that just really makes a huge difference a little bit later in the tournament than when now all of a sudden the average chip stack is 35,000 and because you punted off some chips just trying to be aggressive for the sake of it and you ended up at 25 and now those levels, the two or three levels after that as the average stacks grew and you're shrunk and now you're at 15,000 where going from 25 to 15 there where had you just stayed within yourself and you would have went from 50 to 40 and you'd be still be an average or above average chip stack at that point and i i know that was probably long-winded and i hope that made sense but the main point would be uh i i don't really like just looking at it as i have a ton of chips i'm gonna try to start bullying everybody or i i don't like looking at it as i'm a, i have a ton of chimps i'm just gonna lock it up and not not try to give them away like neither of those are the correct mindset it it should just uh pretty much always be i'm going to continue to play my game as the cards come and as as each decision occurs i'm going to more or less do the same thing with maybe a slight little tweak where in a, in a game theory sense there are a lot of spots where you're trying to randomize and you might you might four bet with with ace king half the time or maybe not ace king you might four bet with like ace queen suited half the time and just call the three bet the other half the time it might be that might be a kind of a spot where where you if you have a ton of chips and have a great image of always being the guy that has it and you know this player is a player that might fear your re-raise 
if you open raise and he three bets, you you might just four bet or ship it on him just due to that table image. And whereas like a different point with slightly less chips, you may end up just flatting the three bet or even circumstantially you could even fold to the three bet occasionally depending on the sizing or other variables that are that are in play. But yeah, I think that's uh about all I've got on this topic. So until next time, this is Mike Schneider of Poker is Fun Tour. Thanks. Bye. Okay, guys. Thanks so much. Let's take a quick break here to thank our official sponsor, Running Aces. And then we'll be back with thoughts from our contributing recreational players, Matt Hamilton, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, Derek Smith, and Steve Olson. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, so most of the recreational players submitted audio, uh, but we do have written comments from Matt Hamilton, who many of you know is a great uh, young player in Minnesota. Matt says this, Accumulating chips early on in a tournament is certainly an advantage, but it should not, in my opinion, greatly influence your play until you get deeper and closer to the money bubble. You should still have solid fundamentals and be able to capitalize on mistakes from your opponents. You are, however, able to put a lot of pressure on medium stacks even early on in a tournament, so I think it's a very strong idea to incorporate more 3-betting and aggression against our opponents. But we must avoid being overly aggressive and forgetting our fundamentals that earned us the big stack. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we were talking about how to approach having a big stack early in a tournament. Um, I think this might be the first time we kind of have a consensus between all the recs and all the pros, but I'm pretty sure the answer here is to not change your style of play. Uh, given that we're early in the tournament, everyone likely has uh, very big stacks in relation to the big blind. Uh, this means if we try and loosen our range preflop, we're probably not increasing our fold equity. Uh, so if we already had an optimal preflop opening range, there's really no reason to be opening or widening that uh, to be opening more hands. Uh, should we be seeing more flops? Again, that, that goes back to, you know, like our opening range and our calling range and those types of things. And if we're early in the tournament, it, we really don't have any of the advantages of being a big stack, which is being able to apply pressure, uh, putting people's tournament lives at risk, uh, because that usually doesn't happen this early in the tournament. We should really uh, be looking towards continuing to making the optimal play um, just kind of playing our same game that we came in uh, with that same approach. Um, I believe next week we're going to kind of be talking about when we get more near the bubble, but if we think about like as we get progressing towards the middle stages of the tournament, that's when we can start applying more pressure because people are going to start having smaller chip stacks uh, in relation to the big blind uh, where when they, if, when they decide that they're going to play a hand they kind of have to decide do i want to you know go all the way with this hand or am i going to have to give up and that's when the big stack can really start applying some pressure uh so it 
I think this is just a really simple question this week that, hey, if we get a big stack early in a tournament, don't change anything. Don't let the uh, excess chips that we have, or even if we go the other way and we become a short stack early on in the tournament and our lack of chips, don't let that change anything unless we kind of get into this dangerous big blind zone of you know less than 20 and everyone else has quite a bit more than that. I, I just don't see us being able to apply additional pressure with a big stack or uh, having a small stack and kind of starting to panic. So when you're early in the tournament, just continue to play your game. That's, I think, the best advice in this situation. Hello, everyone. This is Rob Washam for the Rec Poker February 24th edition. I think it's important to understand that you don't have to be the table captain. It could turn out that way just because of the fact that you have the big stack, but that's not necessarily your goal. I'm looking back to when we had the Secrets of Tournament Poker book club, uh, the book by Jonathan Little, and he talked about how he his what his opening range is based on the number of big blinds he has. So if he has a big stack, 125 big blinds or more, in early position, he'll open with twos plus, ace-jack plus, six-five suited plus. Middle position will be twos plus, ace-ten plus, king-ten plus, queen-ten plus, jack-ten, two suited cards, nine or higher, five-four suited plus, six-four suited plus, and seven-four suited plus. In the cutoff, it's all twos. Or, I'm sorry, all pairs, twos plus, ace deuce plus, king seven plus, queen nine plus, and then seven five off plus. On the button, he said anything, except maybe hands like jack deuce, queen three, king deuce, ten four, seven deuce, and any other unconnected low cards. He also folds any suited hands that are not connected in any way and have no high card value. And a small blind would be the same as a cutoff raise or range. So that's really wide. I mean, he's given himself an opportunity to steal a lot of the blinds. Um, look over the limpers. He might be raising over the limpers on occasion with some of these hands based on their stack size and how wide they open. Uh, another thing that you need to do is use continuation bets and pot control. Most shorter stacks aren't going to are going to play very straightforward against a larger stack. You want to see bet dry flops, exercise pot control if you're called, unless of course you have better than top pair. You don't want to get out of line against an opponent that looks to be ready to get it in. Um, at that point in time, you only want to open hands with which you can call a shove from this type of opponent. Uh, floating in position. If you have an opportunity to call an open from late position, you can uh, call the C-bet on the flop, and if he checks to you, make a bet out on the turn. Again, you're just taking control and uh, winning a lot of chips that you probably don't deserve. But that's how you maintain that uh, chip stack, and you take advantage of that chip stack against people with fewer sh chips. And last but not least... There's no shame in folding. All right, talk to you later. Thanks. Hey, Rec Poker Podcast listeners. This is Derek Smith, everyday underscore 81 on Twitter, 
For those that listened to last week's episode, uh, I'm a big advocate for having a plan and working that plan. And for me, that would include always playing our A game no matter what. That includes no punting off when we get dented early in a tournament and no playing every single hand just because presently we can afford to. So in this situation, we're in the first three levels and we've built up a really large stack. If we happen to overmatch our opponents, then I'd certainly advocate for using our now big stack to get into more pots than usual and be looking to outplay people post-flop. But unless that's the situation, it's probably much more likely that positive variance is largely the reason for why we now have such a large stack. And so I'd be looking to follow the plan of playing our A game and not fluctuate from that. So even though having a large stack does afford us the chance to not bust out, when we're playing a lot of hands. It also affords us a chance to not bust out if we take a bad beat. And it also gives us the opportunity to pick off players when the inevitable jam fest begins a little bit later. So in my opinion, the best way to play a really big stack when you gain one early is to recognize, again, that it was likely that you happened to catch some really big hands at the same time that other players caught some really big second place hands. And to not uh, again, unless we really feel like we're running over the table and or the field to not really fluctuate from our, our game plan of just playing our A game. So um, we certainly can occasionally afford to play a, a bit more of a speculative uh, opening range. Again, I think it's best to just stay the course, play our A game, and look to kind of maintain having that nice size stack for later uh, when the blinds get so high that people have to start jamming everything and we can uh, pick people off and hopefully build up a pretty big stack to take to the final table with a chance to take down the tournament. So my vote is to save the chips for later, and I look forward to hearing what other people say. Thank you. Hey guys, Steve O'Heary, uh, another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. Let's start here. It's a it's a big subject. We don't have a lot of time, obviously. Um, if I'm going to read between the lines, if you are getting a big stack in those first three levels, my guess is is you're playing a lot of hands. Uh, and if you're playing a lot of hands, you're not always playing from position. Uh, you're probably not playing, you know, uh, optimum cards, and the deck's hitting you. Um, and those are, you know, those are great. It's a great thing when the deck hits you. However, if you continue to play a lot of hands, and remember the deeper you go in the tournament, the better your competition is going to be because the weaker players are going to generally be getting weeded out. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough to keep that going. Um, I, I'm a big advocate, you know, of playing pretty snug. I'm a big advocate of just trying to hang around, uh, always, you know, be at or above average get to the final table, and then let it rip. That's where the big swings are going to happen, and that's where tournaments are going to be won and lost. They're not going to be won early. Uh, you can lose them early, but you're never going to win them early. Uh, rather than maybe talk about what you should be doing, maybe I'll talk about mistakes that I see players making when they get big uh, you know, a big stack early. And I kind of touched on that already, but they just continue to keep the pedal to the metal, playing lots of hands 
and sooner or later, variance is just going to keep up with you. And generally, um, oftentimes, players will go the other way. You know, a question for you, you know, how do your opponents perceive you? I know, once again, when I'm playing, there's players that can build those big stacks. And then I think to myself, well, that's going to be a problem. You know, how, how am I going to attack that? Or... You know, there's certainly players that I can think of that will build those big stacks early because they're, they're, they're real aggressive early. And, you know, I couldn't be happier. As far as I'm concerned, and a lot of the other players are concerned, that player is just holding our chips for us because we know they're going to dump them later. So, you know, uh, you know how, how are your opponents perceiving you? Um, when you do get those, that big stack, you certainly want to push around the smaller stacks and avoid the big stacks. Um, there is no reason to clash with a big stack that can really do you harm unless you have the goods. You know, pound on those small stacks, um, especially, you know, the 5 to 15 big blind stacks, um, you know, that are pretty much going to be in folder shove mode. Push, you know, those are the guys you want to push around and get involved with. Um, you're going to be able to, you know, make some chips. If you're going to get beat, it's not for a, a lot of your stack. Um, once again, avoid those big stacks unless you really have the goods. Um, you know, make the action, don't be the action. Be, be sure you're the razor. Be sure you're doing it from position. Um, you know, being a calling station uh, can get you in a bit of trouble, I feel. Um, also, if you get that big stack and you do find yourself heading the other way, uh, a mistake that I see is people do not tighten up in time. If you're heading the other way, tighten up, preserve those chips, get them when you can, do what you got to do to get to the final table. A lot of players will almost, you know, go the other way. They've been aggressive, they get beat, they start losing chips, and now they kind of go into hyper-aggressive mode. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I, I rarely see that work. Um... You know, and I guess on the other end of it is is don't wait till it's just too late to throw your money in. Um, also, you know, this is another little thing I, I, I don't do too much anymore, but I certainly used to do. Keep notes on your phone. Come up with your own little shorthand so you're not spending all your time typing. Um, you know, keep track. What hands are you playing? What position are you playing from? How many callers are you getting? Are you winning or losing with those hands? Um, you know, how many tap trap hands are you playing and how often are, are those trap hands getting beat? Um, you know, try and learn from everything you've done. Uh, so we're, um, we're not repeating the, the same mistakes, um, over and over and over. And maybe last but not least, and I've talked about this before, um, but when it comes down to kind of do or die time and you're going to get your money in the middle, um, you know, ask yourself, is am I okay going out on this hand in this situation? And if you are, you know what? Go for it. Get your money in good, see what happens. Um, and if you're not good with it, you know, if it's the type of hand that's going to leave you muttering in the car on the drive home, uh, I would suggest folding it and waiting for a better spot. Uh, that's all I got for this week. Hopefully that's a help. Uh, once again, thanks for the email. Uh, everybody out there listening, uh, have a great day and good luck at the tables. Bye-bye. Okay, so that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much to Don Ducade for submitting that question to the recreational players and to the pros that gave feedback. 
Please tell other people about the Rec Poker Podcast if you like it. If you're struggling with some of how we do some things, man, let me know. I only know uh, what people tell me. So uh, we're just doing this, having a good time, learning a ton, getting better on the felt. Uh, but we do want to continue to make this a better program, uh, more effective in helping your game. So please uh, let me know if you have any suggestions or hand situations or topics. Uh, let me know on Facebook, Twitter, or shoot me an email, stevefredland.gmail.com. And a reminder about the investment package. And if you want to wear a patch, uh, just let me know. So with that, uh, I will chat with you next week.